from blogger to founder and president of Socialite, Becca Alexander has spent the last decade helping brands identify and establish relationships with top influencers and content creators. In the last few years, Becca has seen double-digit growth year over year due to the phenomenal expansion of the influencer space and the rise of influential marketing. Becca and her team have helped build careers for multi-million followed talent like Marcel Flores, Adam Gallagher, and Wendy Nguyen. Becca has personally built programs for brands such as Giorgio Armani Beauty, American Express, Ralph Lauren, Godiva, Etsy, and Audi, just to name a few. She's an incredible guest, a wealth of information, and we really appreciate all of her honesty in this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Becca. There are influencers out there um, at a variety of different levels who they feel like the pinnacle is to be with an agency, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, I think there are way too many of them that go into a management or agency relationship way too early. early. Um, At what point do you think that it's appropriate to uh, join forces Mm -hmm. with a management company? Yeah. I think that's that's hard to answer because it's so individual. I mean, we typically um, tell influencers that it's around a certain income level based on the amount of transactions that they have coming in. So, you know, you can, I think as a smaller influencer, right, if you start sort of in the nano and get to the micro and you start getting all of these opportunities, depending on how many of those are coming in, where they're coming from, right? Are they brand direct? Are they, you know, PR digital agency, you know, an agency like us, an agency like you guys, et cetera, or are they coming in from platforms, right? Because those are completely different types of campaigns and completely type of different types of expectations and scopes and budgets and et cetera. And once you get to a place where you just can't handle the influx of opportunities, which we have just historically found to be at a certain kind of like level of growth, which previously has been around the 100K mark um, in terms of following on Instagram. And typically what we've seen is the 100K mark on Instagram means you're probably earning, you know, a full-time-ish salary, comparable to a full-time-ish salary, which is somewhere between the like 60, 80, maybe a hundred thousand dollar range based on, you know, where you are, because I do think that that's important. Um, the type of content you're creating, you know, are you in a specific niche? Is your content super, super high quality and editorial and unique? Or, you know, are you the type that's more personality driven? You know, there's a lot of different factors of it. In it, what we're seeing now is because micro-influencers have had such a, quote, moment, right? They've always existed. I don't know why, like, the past two years has been, like, all micros, right? (laughs) Um, Those influencers are getting so much opportunity at lower rates that they feel overwhelmed a lot sooner than influencers had previously, Right. And a lot of times those influencers are also younger. So what we've seen as a sort of trend, and I don't know if this is true across the age, uh, the ecosystem, um, it's true more for us is that in the past, when influencers got to a certain point in terms of, you know, their following, they felt like they needed an agency. They were also older, right? People who were OG came from the blogging space, built following on Instagram, are usually in their later 20s, you know, today, early 30s, probably, maybe even mid 30s, depending on who they are. They were able to, because of their 
past learned professional skills, right? Because they most likely went to college, they had a job outside of college, et cetera. They were able to self-manage for longer. Now, again, barrier to entry is low. Influencers are younger. Um, Micro-influencers are growing. There's so much, many more of them, right? Mm -hmm. They're getting so many opportunities because it's so easy to discover them now, like, right, from all the platforms that exist that are basically finding them and all the discovery tools that are available for agencies like ours to discover them. They're just getting such an influx, but the deals are smaller, right? They're for a couple hundred dollars or maybe up to a thousand dollars, whatever that is, and they get overwhelmed a lot faster. Sorry, I'm totally repeating myself. But like what happens is we get influencers reaching out to us who have 30,000 followers. We're like, I can't handle my inbox. We're like, okay, let's dive deeper into this. And what we see is they're just getting, you know, the, the platforms of the world emailing them with gifting opportunities. And isn't that even sort of a red flag that they can't come to that conclusion on their own? Like, like to your, what I, what I believe is that like there does need to be the influencers will benefit if they have the ability to self-manage to a certain point. I totally agree. And so like, I am most impressed by influencers who, you know, who can just take a look at their inbox and easily just, you know, they're business people. They have a business side of their brain that they use Mm -hmm. and they can easily look in their inbox and say like, ah, this isn't something that's going to be viable, but like this is, and like, this is a more promising one and this is worth my time and things like that. Well, that's also something you learn along the way, right? Sure. I think, you know, if you asked creators, influencers again, five years ago, the difference between an opportunity with dollars, you know, a gifting opportunity, and then an event invite, people would know the difference, right? Because they had spent the time most likely as bloggers answering every single email and recognizing when something is one thing versus another thing, right? We've signed talent in the past who, you know, we ask our own talent to vet certain opportunities before they forward them. Um, that way, you know, the managers aren't essentially spending all their days answering, you know, event invites and or gifting lounge opportunities. And they actually spend the time pitching, right, to make sure that the deals are coming in that are more of what the influencer is looking for long term. Um, and we have influencers that still can't tell the difference. And I don't know how it's possible that they can't tell the difference between, you know, a gifting opportunity and event invite where no one will ever pay you to attend that event. So I think that problem is happening much, much sooner now, right? Like with the younger influencers. And I think they seem to get overwhelmed faster. Again, I think it is some lack of professionalism. There's also what I have found, unfortunately, there's a level of anxiety with like the younger generation where they get overwhelmed and anxious really quickly and then they just shut off. What are some of the main issues uh, or solves that you would love to see mm-hmm. um, just in the next year or two? There's, if there's so much possible, what, would, what could somebody create that would be so beneficial to how you do business? Sure. So I think, you know, we say every single day that we're essentially in the business of problem solving. Um, you know, clients come to us for, for something we you know do our best to deliver on that something to meet expectations but most of the time you know and in the business that i think we're all we're in in the 10 years that i've spent being in this business there's never been a campaign that has run flawlessly right where 
you said you were going to set out to do this. You hired these XYZ amount of talent. This was the timeline. The timeline was met. Content was submitted. You know, content was approved. It went live. And we all, like, you know, did this and moved on Cheers with our lives, right? It. Yeah, no. And it's never happened. And that, to me, is insane, right? Like, who knew that we would never, after this long, get to a place where nothing ever happens according to plan. I think that's maybe a metaphor for life generally, but it seems to not necessarily be the case in other businesses. So part of our job, whether it's on the talent management side or, you know, the client sort of strategy services side is personality management. And unfortunately, there aren't tools that will solve personality issues except good really a really great team like hiring very well yes but you're still not gonna solve the person you've hired on the other end to create the content you're not gonna solve it you're gonna try to manage it correct. <laughs> and there is a distinction there correct yeah um you know for example today i came to the office and i had an email from a talent who I've never met, I've never worked with, you know, my team has obviously found her, cast her into a program, um, emailing me saying that she needs to pull out of a program because she just doesn't have time this weekend to shoot it and the content is due on Monday. And she's emailing me, you know, she said that she tried reasoning with my team and they wouldn't reason with her and they're not letting her pull out and she's going to send back the product. The thing is that you know, I take emails like that very seriously because that's a talent that was found for a specific reason, was cast into a program, signed a contract. We owe the client that talent, their content, the distribution of that content through their channels. It's not as simple as, well, I'm just not going to do it, right? Of course. <laughs> but that talent doesn't care about that contract, no matter how much money it is, right? I've seen it for not caring for $1,000, and I've seen it not caring for $50,000. And we are in the business where no amount of money is going to make someone do anything. And I've learned that over 10 years of being in this business, working with all different kinds of talent, all different kinds of clients, all different kinds of price points and budgets and scopes, where if someone just doesn't want to get up that morning... There is nothing that's going to motivate them to get up. No matter how good my team is, as you said, hiring great people to try to motivate that talent, there are points where talents just turn off their phone, don't check their email, and just ignore the fact that this is happening somewhere else on the other end, right? Sure. And again, there's no tools that I think will solve that problem. What I think could be built basically manage the amount of projects that they have that they're, you know, agreeing to so that they can keep organized. And I think that's, again, natural in a business where there's a lot of young people who either never learned the professional skills needed to be able to be entrepreneurs, right, in the way that you know, other people have, right? Where there's a level of professionalism that they never learned. They never learned deadlines. They never learned how important contracts are, you know, relationships, how important invoicing is. I mean, a couple years ago, we found out that our talent were not paying their taxes, you know, certain talent on our roster. And I actually um, went to my personal accountant 
who has an agency. And I was like, listen, I know you work with a lot of models and a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and et cetera. Could we partner with you? And can I have my talent come to your agency and you guys do their taxes because you understand the sort of like freelance passion economy space, right? Like the transactional business of it. So there's a lot of things that I think, you know, there's not a lot of resources in the space. And unless you have a manager that's doing a lot of these things for you, or you're signed to an agent agency, um, you know, you're not going to learn some of these like more professional skills along the way. And I think because there are so many players in the space, it's so easy for a talent to also just walk away from a campaign or a contract that they signed. Because even if they, let's say, tarnish the relationship with Socialite, there's going to be 10 other agencies and 30 other clients and 14 other platforms that come to them the very next day with another campaign and another opportunity. And for the most part, I I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I will say we do I, – I have seen more even just in win, mm-hmm. just simply sharing information. Definitely. You know, Definitely. for the sake of like if, if he or she was a headache to you – Please tell me. I don't want to take on that headache, you know? And I feel like people are consistently getting burned in different ways Mm -hmm. and are seeking more information because they just want to do better business. So I'm I'm just relieved to see a little bit more of that, but I 100% agree with you. There should be more. Yeah, and the last thing, you know, we also want to do is, like, we don't know what this person's situation is, right? Like, we found this person, however it is we found her, probably on Creator IQ, you know, and some of their discovery tools. We're like, oh, she's perfect for this campaign. We reach out to her. We negotiate a deal. She signed a contract, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what her life is like, right? She's she's not one of our own exclusive talents that have been with me, you know, for years or been with us for years where we know literally every single detail of their lives. So we know when, you know, things are not going well or something happened or there's a reason for this, right? I have no idea. Something could have happened. She could have had a family emergency. She could be ill. I don't know. And I don't want to judge her personally for backing out of a campaign. Of course, you know, we have things that we can do, um, you know, like sort of ways that we've replaced people in the past. You know, I the last thing, I guess what I'm trying to say is the last thing I want to do is speak negatively about someone without really knowing what the situation is. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Maybe internally we would tell the team to be more careful when booking her next time. But I also would never want to reach out to, let's say, you guys and say, hey, this talent backed out of a program. You know, be careful when you work with her because you never know. Because it's a business about human beings. Exactly. You know, and I'm... It's just, and trust me, like we've been, we've blacklisted talent in the past, and that's usually less about someone opting out of a campaign midway mm-hmm. and something else that could have been worse that kind of happened along the way. Mm-hmm. Without getting into details, I honestly don't actually remember the last time we've we did that. Mm-hmm. I think people collectively have become a lot more professional. Mm-hmm. You know what I would love to go back to your question, you know, or to answer your question is more tools for influencers to be able to, you know, self-manage longer so that they can build up their own sort of more professional skills that when they get to a level where they need an agency, right, they need a manager, and that could be for many, many different reasons, they sign on, there's less of a 
personality management and more of a let us manage your business and let us manage your growth for strategy for a longer term, right? Versus teaching people that when someone emails you, you should really respond within 24 hours because you don't have that much else going on in your life, right? Because you're a full-time influencer. Right. And I don't I don't mean to say that they don't work hard. Sure. I mean that, you know, most of the successful influencers, at least that we manage or that we work with, we know wake up every morning, they answer their emails, you know, then they shoot their content at a certain time, then they deliver that content, and then they go do whatever it is that they needed to do. I know a lot of influencers who are, you know, less sort of regimented and less scheduled, which a lot of time pushes back, you know, things. So I think anything that could essentially help solve that problem would be great. Uh, I don't know which generation it is, and maybe it's just a generation or two and it's just affecting everybody else. But generally speaking, there seems to be so much more anxiety around, especially in this industry, it affects my team. I'm sure it affects Definitely. your team. You yeah. know, even if it's not, they're not the initial anxious person. Yeah, um, it permeates to everybody and it trickles down. Yeah. So, you know, as someone who's run such a successful company, what would you say to, you know, your team specifically to get ahead of things like that? Yeah. So that's a good question. And if you don't mind, I'll get a little personal. Sure. Um, So I used to say for many, many years that we do one thing really, really well, which essentially is influencer relations, right, on all sides, but we're not curing cancer. And for a very long time, it helped a younger team. And I know which of my girls have more anxiety than others. And I know which one of them, you know, has more OCD than others. And I know most of the time how to help them get through that. And of course they also get overwhelmed. You know, they deal with a lot of things all at once, a lot of crazy clients, a lot of crazy talent all coming at them. And I used to essentially help teach my team how to be able to, and I still do this, can't say no longer do this, um, look at a problem understand what the problem actually is. Because I think people jump too quickly to find a solution without really understanding what the issue is. Who is the issue coming from, you know, first Mm -hmm. and foremost? Like, is the issue over here or over here? Is it on this person? Is it on the client? Is it on the creator? Step back from it. Breathe. Know that, again, you're not curing cancer. And then come back to it when you're not emotional from the fact that it gave you anxiety. Right. And that happens to all of us. Like it happens to me, you know, it happens to everybody. And I think it's helped people be able to take a step back from what they know their job is, which is essentially find a middle ground consistently, right? Find a solution to make this problem easier and this problem a little easier and bring them together. But also, I think it's helped them understand that what we're doing has a purpose and there's a reason we're doing it. And it does do all of the things that people expect influencer marketing to do with the right strategy and the right talent. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, at the end of the day, it's not life changing. Right. Right. So last year um, I was actually diagnosed with cancer 
I saw uh, your most recent <laughs> Instagram post. Yeah. Which was very personal. Um, very personal. That you publicly shared, you know, your yeah. journey on that. Yeah, thank you. And I, as you probably saw from my Instagram, I used to be more into the content creation side of things. I always felt, or for a very long time, I felt that if I'm preaching it, I kind of have to do it. And then it got to a point where I didn't want anyone to think that I was trying to be a content creator, competing with anybody, and that being uh, creating content was more of a priority than the business, right? The clients, the talent, the employees. So I really just kind of stopped because it wasn't ever important to me personally. Um, and then when I was diagnosed, I was like, I think I have to share this because if I can help at least one person out there with my journey or my doctors or, you know, how I was able to cope or whatever it is, then I'm just going to put it out there. And if anyone, you know, reacts great, and if no one reacts, it's also totally fine. So after that happened, I, you know, told myself I would tell the team we're mostly women. You know, we have four men at the agency, a team of 30. Everyone else is female. And I stood up in front of the team and for the first time ever, basically broke down and told everyone that I'm not breaking down because I have cancer, because I can get through it and breaking down because I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I asked everyone to please go get checked, go get the BRCA test, go do whatever it is you need to do, but put your health first because this business will still be here. These problems will still be here. You know, the success will still be here, but your health is all that essentially matters. And I asked them to support me through my essentially recovery journey. And um, towards the end of the year, around the holiday time, I wrote a letter to the whole team basically saying that, you know, for people who have worked with me for a long time, know that I was always the one that with every single problem always said, guys, step back from it. We're not curing cancer. We can figure this out. And now I don't feel comfortable saying that anymore. Sure. You know, because it personally happened to me. Um, and I don't want to use that in any way that could offend anybody. Sure. Um, and basically explaining to the team that I think we're logical enough, we're team-oriented enough. We have a very specific family culture that we've built um, where everyone supports each other, that we will always find a way to solve a problem. And if not, to be honest with you, we throw money at it. It might not be the best solution, but what we have found is that if a talent is very upset because a client changed their mind on something and they need them to reshoot it and it's different than the original creative brief and we need this client to be happy because there's 10 other influencers involved in this campaign, you throw that influencer a little bit more money out of an added value budget and it just gets things done. It does sometimes, doesn't it? So, you know, I don't know if that's, again, the best way to do it. But it's a way and it works because somehow everyone's problem goes away for a little bit extra money. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it helps get it over the hump, right? Like, Definitely. I mean, and sometimes, you know, I would venture to say that's, that probably wasn't the first solution that you would try. Definitely not the first solution we would try. Sure. You know? And sure. again, if we had to, we would, you know, recast someone. Sure. The problem is the, I think... There's been a shift in the fact that, you know, I think a few years ago, 
all the power was in the creators, you know, in the influencers, especially top tier influencers who were very highly requested back in a time when a brand still thought that followers equaled, you know, impressions, I guess. Um, or when someone with a large following posted a piece of content, that's how many people saw it. And obviously that all changed. And we don't see that as much today. You know, no one's coming to social aid for Kiara even though that did happen in the beginning. So what I think we're seeing is a shift with where the brands have a lot more control because they're the ones who control the dollars. And it's not something that I like as a trend, right? Because I think we're all trying to find the middle ground between the creator who, again, is human, going back to our conversation, and how well they know their audience and how well they know how to create a piece of content that will reach you know, their audience and engage their audience and what a brand is looking for. And I think that comes with finding the right cast of people and finding some synergies between that brand or that category or that product and that, you know, specific influencer. But the power has shifted, which means that the brand is always right. And we can do as much as we can to push back and say that was never agreed to, that was never discussed, that wasn't in the contract, that wasn't in the creative, you know, brief that was sent out. Those were not the timelines that were agreed to, like all of the things. But at the end of the day, they're the ones paying the bill, right? So we have to do everything I think we can to find a middle ground without getting to a place of, well, I'm just going to put my legal team on this. Well, right. Because I think that you, at that point, you have two options. Do you want to remain in the conversation? Do you want to remain in the relationship or do you want to remove yourself from it? Right. And like either option is totally valid. Totally. Um, But I, if you want to remain in the conversation and remain with, you know, having that relationship, like you have to sort of play by the rules that have been established. And I agree with you. I mean, I think it's just, um, just being able to observe how, who's paying the bills, right? Like who, who's paying, um, whose name is on the check, um, is important because, um, that really dictates the relationship. It just does. It's just the realities of the situation. I know. And it's not, again, something that we love, right? Because I do think that the more a brand dictates, the less engaging content ends up being. I think we, we all generally know that. Um, and I would love for more power to be in the hands of the creator. And I think, again, some of the top tier talents do have that ability to say it's either my way or I'm not working with you. And whether or not it's you know their ability to do so because they have the luxury of not needing the money or they're just not interested in doing things the way the brand wants to do them. What either one, again, is also valid. I think with the upcoming influencers, right? The micro talent all the way to like mid-tier and some macro talent. I wish there was a tool that could help get them to understand that the power is in the brand, right? In the contract that they signed. And there is a lot that we can do to push back on it. But at the end of the day, the brand could just decide to not write the check. Absolutely. I mean, a contract is only so powerful as your ability to enforce it. Um, right. And that does go both ways. Of but, um, but, you know, of course. And, and I agree with you. You know, I think that like, it's an unfortunate reality, just I think simply because I've seen when the creator has more control. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, yeah, it seems to perform so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the nature of what we do for a living is trying to make two 
opposite sides. Yeah, totally come together. (laughs) Exactly. And totally come together. Yeah. And we, so we have a few, probably a handful of creators on our exclusive roster who will not adhere to anything that a brand wants. You know, they won't sign up to a platform. They won't opt in. They won't do anything. You know, their accounts are not business, which means you can't amplify their content. They will not adhere to creative briefs. Things are on their timeline. And on the flip side, right, as as an agency that manages those creators, we do everything we can to support them. And that's how we manage them, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm Mm -hmm. sure brands don't love that. But that just is what it is. And they get away with it. And how how do they get away with it? So... The specific people that I'm talking about, one, have been in the space a very long time, you know, at least a decade. They have built names for themselves that I think transcends um, your typical standard. How many followers do you have? What is your engagement rate? You know, who do you reach? You work with those influencers because of their name and the type of content that they create. And you almost ignore all the other things, you know? Um, And there's still some brands that very much want the brand alignment. They just want this specific influencer to promote their product. Mm -hmm. And they're willing to do it on their terms as long as it happens, right? And we still see that. Um, And it doesn't happen that often, but those influencers are very successful. They get a lot of opportunities and brands generally know what they're getting when they come back to those influencers again and again. I was going to ask, and are they getting repeat business even? Consistently. Yeah. Consistently. But again, those are brands um, that aren't looking for conversion necessarily. You know, we've had brands come back and say, well, you know, this person posted it and, you know, we sold out of that product. So it does happen, you know, because in the same way that a brand is willing to work with this influencer, knowing who they are and how they work, that audience is also so dedicated to that influencer Mm -hmm. because of who they are, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like a status thing. You know, they sit front row, they go to all the shows, you know, they're still part of like the scene, right? So when they wear something that is attainable, people buy it. But a brand isn't coming to that person for that in mind. They're coming to that person because they want that person to be seen wearing their product. So for people listening who are still skeptical of working with that type of influencer um, and you know you understand it more simply because you've you you understand that person as a human like you understand your client way more than anybody else could simply by proximity simply because of all the time that you've spent with them how how, help them understand why that influencer Mm -hmm. would be what some people would describe as like oppositional yeah you know totally help them understand that yeah i mean i think it again goes back to the fact that that influencer has transcended this like ecosystem Mm -hmm. they are some type of celebrity in their own way Mm -hmm. um whether it's you know i have a male and a female for example in the same sort of boat the female is someone who wears mostly only runway she's in the scene she goes to you know all the fashion weeks she sits front row she knows every single designer you know she was friends with the 
Lagerfeld, right? So there's a level of, again, celebrity or status that you get with someone like that, where it's really not about how many followers she has. Even though she has a very large following, she has a good engagement rate. She reaches the audience that you want to reach. And it's a luxury audience that buys luxury products and cares about, you know, the Chanel bags that she wears and will buy the Chanel bags that she wears. But brands that are hesitant to work with her because she is a little bit more expensive than someone with the exact same following, right? She's not going to opt into a platform. She doesn't want her content used, you know, outside of her own platform. She won't sign to an exclusive. There's just certain ways that she does things, but the value is that you have someone endorsing your product who is a celebrity. Mm -hmm. You know, the male that we have on our roster is a little bit different um, he's been in the space for a very long time. He was one of the first male influencers. He has a huge following, one of the biggest um, in the men's space, especially in the U.S. And he creates very highly, highly um, kind of like curated editorial content. And he also won't opt into a platform. He has the audience that you want to reach. There's a lot of them. He has a significantly higher engaged audience than some other influencers because they've been with him for a decade at least. But again, with him, he's more expensive because everything is staged and set up and takes days to plan and locations to scout and like, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when you work with him, it's again, not about conversion. It's about reaching a certain audience that wants something beautiful. They want something aspirational. They want something that looks like it could have been featured in a magazine, but it's on an influencer. Mm -hmm. And are right? they providing like metrics after? Like is, is Yes, yeah, of course. So it's not that they're not providing the metrics. Mm -hmm. It's just they're more particular on how they do things. Sure, sure. Right? You know, they they want to control their brand versus most other influencers are very open to more of a collaboration based, you know, partnership. Right? Like we call it brand partnerships for a reason, right? You partner with a brand. A partnership typically means it's either 50 50 in terms of who wants what, or maybe sometimes it skews a little bit 60 40, maybe even 70 30, depending on which way. With these influencers, it's less of a partnership. It's I will make sure that your product, you know, transcends this space by working with me. Sure, sure. So I, I don't know, you know, sort of what's better or what's not better, to be honest with you. I don't know that it's a, and I, yeah, and I don't know that it is a, it, to me, it sounds like it's not a better or not better yeah, thing actually at all. it's based on a strategy. Sure. Right? Like we, um, you know, we, on the brand partnerships, brand strategy side of our business, we're talent agnostic. So we look to our own roster if there's someone that's a fit, but the talent side of the business runs totally separately and very independently from the brand partnership side. And I'd side love of the to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, of course. I think that's so fascinating that you guys manage such amazing talent. Thank you. And absolutely. And that you also, you know, go out and have amazing brands that you get other amazing talent for and have wonderful programs as well. Yeah. So casting and also managing. Correct. And so talk to us about you know the history of sort of how that yeah. evolved first sure. i'd love to hear that and then you know sort of um how how it's been since its inception yeah so to be honest with you there there wasn't a real strategy to to the two divisions essentially um i started socialite totally accidentally um i was 
the editor-in-chief of a blog a million years ago that was then sold to a larger media company. I got a full-time job at Richemont, um, working under brands like IWC and Cartier and Panerai, helping them understand the new like digital social landscape. And this was about I guess a little over a decade ago. So back in a time when it was just Twitter and Facebook as the big platforms and bloggers had just started coming on the scene after lookbook.nu became, you know, a little bit popular. And at the time, you know, lookbook.nu was for people who were posting their daily looks and blogs were kind of like journals about people's lives where like, you know, they went to the market that day and they picked up some apples and here's their favorite vintage stores and, you know, eventually transitioned to more outfit photos. So I spent a about a year uh, working at Richemont, helping the group identify uh, which potential content creators, bloggers to work with. Um, And unfortunately, didn't go anywhere because they weren't ready to relinquish control to non kind of traditional publications and media outlets. But I did have really fun spending about um, eight months putting together a year's worth of tweets for the brand. And that's, you know, how things used to happen. (laughs) So long story short, about a year in, um, a couple of my friends who were bloggers started gaining traction with brands. Brands started reaching out to them and they reached out to me asking how we used to monetize the blog that I had. And the blog that I had was more of, I guess, like a media, um, a media blog. It wasn't about me. We used to post about 50 stories a day on what was happening in the fashion industry, just kind of like regurgitating press releases and news and et cetera. And we used to monetize by selling banner ads and native content. So I would essentially help my blogger friends um, educate them on how to sell banner ads, how to sell native content, how to put together media kits. And one day I was like, you know what? I don't love my job and I have a lot of free time on my hands because I'm just writing tweets basically that are not going to go live for another nine months. Why don't I negotiate these deals for you? You have full-time jobs. And all my blogger friends at the time did. And they were like, cool. And I was like, I'll do it for 5% and that'll be it. So the first deal that I negotiated was for $50. And I was like, oh my God, awesome. That's like a coffee. Great. You know, and I was like, well, I'll make some side hustle money. And then the next deal was $100. And then deal after that was $200. And the deals kept coming and word spread. And other bloggers started reaching out to me and saying, hey, I heard you're the fairy blog mother. Can you negotiate my deals? And I was like, sure, bring them on. I have plenty of time. So that just organically kept happening. And then one day, a brand reached out to me and said, I have $50,000. I hear you're the fairy blog mother. Can you help us navigate the blogging space and allocate some of these funds to native content and banner ads? And I was like, sure, that sounds really fun. So I started doing what I guess I called brand strategy at the time. And then more brands kept coming. And one day I was like, well, I don't love my job. I'm not doing anything useful besides writing tweets. Like I'm just going to quit and do this and see how it goes. And I quit and more brands kept coming, more bloggers kept coming. And one day I was like, I think this is a business, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I started an Excel sheet and I got bloggers to sign contracts that says, you know, I'm basically representing them as their manager or agent, whatever. And I got brands to sign on retainers and Socialite was essentially born. Um, And that was about 10 years ago, I think. Pretty sure it was about 10 years ago. And to this day, you know, both sides of the business grew organically, but fully independently of each other. You know, I first hired a talent manager and then I hired someone on the brand strategy team. Then I hired another talent manager and I hired someone on the brand strategy team. And 
revenue-wise, it's actually split 50-50. Obviously, margin is a little different, um, but completely equal but separate divisions. We manage talent and we focus on those talent and we build careers for talent. And a lot of talent have been with me since the beginning. You know, we obviously sign new talents. There's been a big uh, conversation internally about making sure that we are signing more diverse talent and being more inclusive. Uh, and I've obviously really loved that. My team has gone out and essentially found, you know, talent who are speaking about completely different subjects. Their content is diverse. Um, they're body positive. You know, we're really trying to support um, the LGBTQ community. There's there's a lot that we've done to ensure that our roster is super robust and that we're really helping people build careers and achieve their dreams. Mm -hmm. And on the brand strategy side, it's always been, you know, because in the beginning, you know, I only managed a few bloggers, right? So my even for the first client, I had to go out and find other bloggers to work with, right? Every brand that came, our own bloggers, our own creators, influencers didn't always fit what the brand was looking for. So instead of giving up on that business, it was much easier to just go out and find those types of creators. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, back then they were free agents. Today, a lot of them are signed to other agencies and that's totally fine. So we work with, you know, a lot of other agencies. We work with free agents. We have a relatively large network. We also use tools like Creator IQ to discover talent, especially if we need, you know, 150 moms for a campaign. I have like five on my roster, right? So I need to go out and find the other ones. And that's essentially what we do and it's been great i do have to say that sometimes there's a conflict of interest when you know one of our talents wants to know why they weren't chosen for a specific campaign and we sort of have to tell them why they weren't chosen for a specific campaign um or even you know vice versa why we couldn't make one of our own influencers do something for one of our brand clients so we try very hard to treat it you know very kind of independently and if it doesn't work kind of collectively it, it doesn't work and it, it doesn't would, need to and i would think in that regard just like managing expectations from the beginning would probably yeah. just help alleviate that as yeah much as totally and just because we manage people doesn't mean we can you know call in certain favors but if they're a fit for a program i want nothing more than to provide you know our own talent more opportunities obviously but a lot of times they're not you know a fit or i need more than what we have or whatever that looks like and again vice versa so let's talk a little bit about yeah. those influencers too yeah. so you know some of the first ones that you've signed how do you feel like they've changed over the years that's a good question um i think i have to be honest that some of the influencers that signed very early on who were able to transition blogs to instagram accounts and you know even today other platforms um have essentially become more stagnant than influencers that started in the past couple of years and have been able to gain more traction. I think part of the reason is um, that influencers who have been doing it for a long time are, again, a little bit older. This was probably not their first career choice. They probably you know, made this their full time after they got to a place where they were earning enough money in their job. And it's harder for them to 
transition and make changes to their content based on what is either currently trending or how the algorithm, you know, wants to see things or just generally how they feel the brand that they've built is seen, you know, to their audience. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's harder for them to say, well, you know, this is me and this is who I've always been and, you know, et cetera. But because audiences now have so much more diversity in the type of content that exists out there, and there's a million and one influencers and creators, you know, people are not as engaged with someone that they followed 10 years ago because they've also changed. Their life changed, you know, their life circumstance changed. And if that influencer hasn't evolved or changed or there's been some exciting developments that their audience has followed, there's been less and less that that audience wants from that influencer. And I think that's so key um, because some, I don't know, I, I take off my like manager hat so often. Of course. I'm just like, who do I really get excited yeah. by? And who ha- do I consistently still want to look at their content, still want to look at their stories, still want to like of know what they're up to? And it really is. I mean, and I'll just be personally like for me, it's just those people who are so raw and real and like exactly. they're just talking about current events and they're not afraid to, I don't know, talk politics a little bit or talk about, you know, just what's going on in the world and how they fit into it. Exactly. Um, they respond to comments. They they listen a lot because uh, they listen to their audience. Um, and I think that's so important. Um, but what about you? Like, let's take off your manager, your business owner hat for a second. Like, yeah. what types of influencers do you just enjoy following? Yeah. So... It's so hard for me to say because I follow like thousands of influencers, right? Sometimes I follow people who I don't necessarily love their content, but I follow them because they, you know, work with a lot of really good brands and I'm always curious to see who's spending in the space and what type of content they're creating. I follow some really crazy weird people that are part of like niches that like, you know, I don't know, whatever maybe I'm interested in. I follow a ton of food, like chef types. I follow a ton of tattoo artists, although like I'm not, you know, the most like tattooed person on the planet. Um, And to this day, to be fully honest, if I had to choose a favorite influencer, it it would be Leandra. Like I am obsessed with her. I always have been. I think what she puts out on her own personal account is exactly what people want today, which is someone who is relatable in their everyday content, but someone who is also, you know, aspirational and inspirational, um, someone who lives the life that everyone else essentially wants or the life that it seems like, you know, that person lives that other people want, obviously. I want to be realistic. Um, And it's, you know, it's, she finds an incredible way to relate to people by making things sarcastic and funny, you know? And that's something that's very unique to her as a person. And obviously, Man Repeller as an entity is just what she's been able to build is absolutely incredible. Um, Outside of that, I think what, as you mentioned, one of the things that we've kind of had to tell our own influencers to do is pick a lane where you know, a couple years ago, maybe four or five years ago, again, bad with timelines, when an influencer wanted to grow, there was a formula, right? It was like, you should post at least three photos a day. One should be of you. One should be of, you know, a coffee or a matcha or an acai bowl or avocado toast. And the third one should be something like landscaping, <laughs> something that like gives context to scenery, right? 
And today, there is really no formula. I'm sure some people would argue that maybe there is. There really isn't. But I do think that influencers who have stuck to a more highly curated, highly editorial, um, you know, kind of viewpoint of their content have not done as well as influencers who have just given it their all and put it all out there. And I think part of the reason that that's the case is, you know, we all to some degree love reality TV, right? It's something that I think our generation grew up with and you kind of like love to hate it or hate to love it or whatever, however you feel about it. But that's where Instagram has kind of gone, in my opinion. And we now tell all our influencers that they're losing engagement, they're losing followers because they're no longer real, right? They're not personable. They're not relatable. There's nothing about them that's interesting. There's no reason why someone wants to follow their life anymore because they can get similar type of content, right? Photography, but with someone with a personality, someone that maybe is more similar to them, lives in a similar location. They find, you know, their style to be interesting. You know, maybe they're uh, part of a community that they want to be a part of, or they support the same charities, whatever it is, you just want going back to the human element as an audience, you know, member, you want to connect with someone in a more human way. And some people make you feel like you know them, and that's what makes you want to follow them. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds to me that that's more of a universal experience. I hope so. I, I hope really so do. too. I mean, I think that, you know, and it's been years since people started watching a lot less uh, TV. broadcast yeah, TV, even broadcast TV, and then went to cable, and then from cable to Netflix, and like of even like the style of all of those, it's yeah. less produced. It's it's more like exactly. reality or messy exactly. or guttural or what have you. Yeah. And I that trend is across all media. Yeah, and I think we all, you know, whether or not an experience is relatable to us, we all want to know and understand and be part of the human experience. So like, for example, a couple weeks ago, um, there's an influencer I follow who I followed for a very long time. She's an LA based mom who's been around for a really long time. Um, you know, and I follow her cause her baby's really cute. She's really good at home design and just like the beautiful life. She is not very personal on her feed, but I was, uh, on my way home on the subway and I came across a post where she talked about postpartum depression. And she was like, you know, I wrote a very personal post about postpartum depression. This is my journey, et cetera. And of course, like, I've never had a baby. I'm not anywhere near having a baby. I know nothing about postpartum depression, nor does it relate to me. But I clicked on it and I read the whole thing and it took me 20 minutes. And I was like, wow. And like, I think there's something about us that drives us, you know, as part of, again, the human experience to learn more about the people around us, even if we can't touch them because they're not that close to us. It's how we relate to exactly, each other. Exactly. That's what it's about. And that's how we find humanity in the other person, right? Mm -hmm. So this culture that Instagram has built, which has caused some of these like mental health issues and the issue of FOMO and the issue of like these unattainable lives that people are living. I think those moments where someone comes out and says, I too am human and I too struggle and I had postpartum depression, you know, those are the kinds of moments that people gravitate to. And it was to no surprise, I checked that post three days later and it's her highest engaged post. There's a reason for that. Right. So, you know, 
all the influencers that have been in this for a long time that are just too tired of sharing, right? Because they've been doing this for a while. They don't know where this is going, you know, and they're maybe stuck and they're just like, how do I compete in a space that's now overcrowded? Unfortunately, you have to go that route or you're really going to get left behind with someone else sharing more than you're going to. I mean, I think that's just, I, I've noticed the same. Like, I feel yeah. the same. I, I I think that um, the ones that have longevity, it's the ones who just simply have the ability to just be open for longer. Right. Well, I think that's also, like, one of the reasons Kiara is Kiara, right? And, like, no one else even comes close to touching her. And I think people, unfortunately, over the past few years have said, a lot of negative things sort of about her and the type of content that she creates, right? Because it is a little bit lower quality than certain others. It is very in the moment, you know, and, but she posts everything all the time, 12 times a day. But also right? like, even to that point, I have to say like, I don't know, I, I'm happy to see that there's no longer a prescribed, you know, latte photo landscape yes. photo oh and this God. photo because like, it's just how many so of those could tiring. you see i that's when i really honestly started tuning out to be completely totally. honest and i'm like this is what i do for a living and i love it but like I, i'm tuning out i can't be the only one i mean it's just it's so i'm happy to see that shift yeah um and you know i also think that like it's important also to have high expectations realistic expectations of like what it takes to make it in this industry. Like, I, I feel like there is one conception of influencers that it's it's just easy and it's not a real job and, like, they can just be brats about things and sure. do whatever they want and get paid for it and that's their life. And I want to – I just want to – endorse and encourage um, the men and women who, like, they have to push themselves. I think mm -hmm. that's the through line mm -hmm. that impresses me the most. The ones who push themselves, totally. who are hustlers or just, like, push themselves creatively. And, like, those are just the people who make me excited to come to work every day totally. and represent them and, and really advocate for them, which at the end of the day is what I think is the core of being an agent or a manager. It's like having the, the heart and the passion to advocate for this person who, mm -hmm. you know, I've worked with artists in lots of different capacities. I used to represent actors back in the day. And like, it's really hard to be able to quantify what an artist's art is worth of course that's like one of the you know there are the lowest on the totem pole right like people yeah. are gonna pay for way more things but anyone could do that sure um totally and i think that it's continuing to align yourself with people who you know i hate using the term it factor but it sometimes mm. just best describes what it is um but i think at its core that's what it is it's this energy that they like they put they're pushing themselves and they're pushing their content and and you don't you can just see it simply by the reaction of their audience mm -hmm. um, because like we were saying it's just how these people all relate to each other the the be the most beautiful thing I think about social media is the communities that are being of created of course and it's sort of just like there's constantly so much noise in in the space generally speaking and i think that if you pair all that back and you sort of silence it and focus it i think like that's the part that most excites me 
what most excites you? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I'm excited by a lot of things. I think it's, there's not necessarily one thing, to be honest with you. I think right now, um, one of the things that we're doing is is finding ways to extend careers for our influencers um, and take some of their careers outside of Instagram and onto uh, kind of more traditional routes. Um, we're in the process of doing our first book deal um, for one of our talents. And I'm so excited because I know nothing about publishing or book deals, but I'm learning uh, from our publishing partner. And I'm excited to see a book come to life, you know, and it's not the first of its kind by any means. I mean, a lot of creators, influencers you know, written books and published books. Um, just the fact that it's one of ours um, and it's it's one of my OGs that I'm just really happy to, to see that come to life. Um, one of our other influencers is in the process of, uh, um, of releasing um, an EP. He's been working for the past year and a half on writing music and recording music. And I think that's incredible because I, you know, unlike you, don't don't come from a traditional talent background. I mean, again, I went to school for fine art. I know nothing about... I mean, I went to school for theater, so actually... Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. You. So, yeah. like, in the sense of everything I know today, it was learned along the way through trial and error, lots of mistakes, some successes... And getting to a place where recognizing that, like, it's not about me and it's not about my ego and it's really about, you know, our talent, our employees and what drives, you know, and motivates them. But that is really exciting for me because, one, it's something I get to learn because there are days where I feel like I've learned as much as I can about this specific thing, right? Um, and unless it branches out, it's going to be really kind of difficult for me to stay motivated by the same things. Mm -hmm. um, outside of the sort of talent stuff, one of the things that I'm currently obsessed with is um, is 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 media, more like traditional media, and being able to take a really beautiful, high quality piece of content created by an influencer and extend the distributional channel from the influencer's account to reach completely new audiences. And I've been for the past year, basically taking a really deep dive into, you know, Facebook ad manager and how to build audiences and custom audiences and lookalike audiences and, and really diving deep into kind of the psychology of certain um, audience groups and what excites and engages them. So every campaign that we've been running that has a media component to it, right? Distribution component to it. Um, when the campaign is done, we do so much sort of like analyzation of why that piece of content performed over another piece of content, you know, because Facebook does a lot of it for you, but really understanding why certain things are what they are so that you can really create a strategy for other things. There's just like, the big dream of mine, um, and I don't think this will happen, at least with me at the helm of Socialite, um, in the sense of I think this is a much bigger thing for all of us. Um, at the end of the day, I think all brands that we work with, right, that I think all of us work 
with are just trying to reach audiences, right? Specific audiences, whether it's Gen Z or, you know, Gen X or whatever that is, they're just trying to get content in front of consumers, right? So that those consumers can be aware of their products, right? And services, potentially. Um, And then consider those brands, products, and services, for when they go and buy something, right? Because the one thing that doesn't excite me is consumerism, by the way. I never thought I would be in the world of consumerism or of marketing or advertising. But what does excite me is being able to reach audiences through really engaging content. Um, and I would love to find a way in my sort of like lifetime in this career to be able to go very high level at a, to a brand and say, stop doing all of these crazy things that you're doing which is hiring all of these like creative agencies and all of these like you know whatever whatever that's giving you traditional content that you're putting on billboards and still in ads and still on tv and etc and give the ability to create content to the people who you are already looking to speak to let them create the content and then let's find the content that is the highest quality and put it back in front of the people that you're looking to target anyways. And I know that a lot of times that happens on a smaller scale, obviously, but it still baffles me that brands will spend, you know, uh, $5.6 million right this year on a Super Bowl ad that's 30 seconds long. And they were all awful, by the way. I watched the Super Bowl just for the ads. You know, when you can get that same type of reach, like 100 million people is not much, right, on Instagram. You can reach those amount of people with half a million dollars, but put content that's interesting in front of them, right? And there's now even a part of me going back to what you were saying about um, kind of personality and influencers who are putting things out there and being a little bit more off the cuff. Like the reason why TikTok has exploded is because that's the exact type of content that exists on that platform, right? Even though some of us think it's silly, by some of us, I mean me. Sometimes I I scroll through my Instagram (laughs) feed and I'm just like, wow, this went viral. That's amazing, (laughs) you know? And I'm just like, oh, I roll, you know? But it's the exact same thing, right? So to me, one of the things that also excites me is trying to like crack the like TikTok um, ecosystem as well with kind of how things go viral and how that specific audience reacts and, you know, who are we reaching as TikTok gives, you know, more and more access to sort of analytical data and um, things that brands can actually really use to identify creators and, you know, who's best for their platform, uh, for their, you know, brand products, uh, et cetera. But that's, I think that's like, sorry, my brain just like went all over the place. As you asked me that question, I'm just like, oh, there's, there's all these things that we're kind of trying to do at the same time. No, and I, I, I think all of it is really perceptive. Um, I, I do. I think that, you know, and it's just exciting to hear what excites you. That was the question. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> so, that. We yeah. also, um, I think you actually spoke with Sarah a couple weeks ago, right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so on, yeah, on she's voice. yes, yeah. she's amazing. Um, so I think as you know, we we bought Simply a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we're actually bringing back the Simply conference this year in October. Okay. And one of the things that I'm really really excited about is is the lineup of speakers that we're working on. Um, one of the things that I really want to do this year, again, the plan is with the Simply conference, um, is 
put an event together that really drives value, that really inspires and motivates people who are interested in becoming a part of the passion economy. You know, I'm starting to kind of look at influencers in the same way as as other people in the quote passion economy um, and really bring a unique and diverse group of speakers, um, you know, panelists, moderators, etc., that are going to provide value to the younger kind of upcoming entrepreneurs so that they feel like they have a lot of options. Because I think influencers feel like they don't have a lot of options. You know, they feel like their skill sets aren't necessarily uh, going to transition to more of a traditional job. You know, and some people are wondering what their next step is if they're not able to write a book, you know, write music, um, go into acting, launch a product line, because that's not for everybody, right? But those are the kind of traditional extensions of where influencers have gone so far. But, you know, not from my knowledge, at least, like no one's opened up a coffee shop or a restaurant or, you know, there are so many kind of opportunities in the space um, that I I want to put a lot of these types of people in front of uh, the younger, you know, kind of audiences and really inspire them to look beyond, you know, I want a product line or I want a book deal or I want to be an actor. I, I love that so much. I mean, I'll speak personally. I felt like one of the shortcomings of my education, which was in, the, in theater, by the way, but even with a lot of people who, you know, go to school, it's just they, they're not um, exposed to as many options as there actually are because academia is its own thing and its own bubble. And to a certain extent, the world of influencer marketing is very much its own bubble and insulated from a lot of other opportunities. And so I, we always find that it's very interesting. Even people on this podcast, every, everybody comes to influencer marketing and from a completely different direction um, because there was no formal education to do this. Um, And how interesting is it to like, just have that be the main topic, uh, like the main place that you're coming from in a conference setting. Um, It sounds like the goal is to just share, you know, share, with the younger audience um, opportunities. Yeah, it's it's trying to share the journey. Yeah. I think one of the things that I also find generally lacking in this space is because of how quickly content is created and it turns over, right? How quickly we scroll through feeds every single day. You don't actually see someone's journey anymore. Right. Like I even look at our own influencers who've been with me for a long time. And like I one of the things I used to love doing is looking at someone's like first blog post. Right. And being like, this is you today and this is like you a long time ago. You can't do that. You're not going to scroll for hours upon hours back on Instagram. And even if you do, you're not going to get someone's life story. Right. So even those moments that I'm talking about that engage all of us, right, like a story about postpartum, for example, that's one story taken totally out of context of someone's life journey. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I really want to do, um, obviously, with Sarah's help is is find ways to bring people together that have an interesting life journey that they want to share with the next generation. Right. Because I do think, again, a lot of times, you know, when top tier influencers speak about their journey, it's often, you know, I started, I got lucky 
I created a lot of content and now I'm here, right? There's nothing to duplicate. There. It's it's very difficult to duplicate without the, as you said, understanding what the it factor is or was. Right. Right. And that's and not I to guess say I, and I and I get like I just a lot of people are on panels truthfully to hear themselves speak. <laughs> and good for them. And good for them. So I admire you guys for really having more purpose and really being intentional about bringing people on only. <laughs> it sounds like who, you know, who have more to say than just I don't know. It was just like <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the goal because a lot of times like even when and influencers asked how they launched a specific, you know, brand or product. And we know there's tons of influencers that have launched their own brands, right? How were they able to do that, right? And they, for whatever reason, um, you know, influencers still won't share certain aspects of their journey. Even the ones that, you know, had a journey, right, or had some of those it moments that really changed things for them, Um you know, they're, they're not willing to say, you know, I wanted to launch this product and I met with a hundred manufacturers until I found the one that I was confident in. And then I had to hire a lawyer to make sure that I was signing the right contract. And then I had to spend $50,000 of my own money. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't hear that. Right. Um, in the same way, like, for example, I guess I'm not out here being like, well, we ran out of cash at some point and like we had to go out and we had to sign with a factoring company and, you know, it was hell on earth because factoring takes 15%. You know, there are things that I'm obviously out here not talking about because I also think people want the fluffy stuff. They don't necessarily want the negative stuff or the hard stuff because it's demotivating to hear how, you know, someone ran out of money. I, um, I I respectfully de- I like to hear yeah that no totally stuff. I, I I understand you know I I don't know what do you like to hear the fluff um, would you rather I don't like to hear the fluff I think there's reasons why a lot of people won't share the kind of harder stuff because I think it's it's embarrassing it's sure. again um it makes you feel like you failed in some way, sure. right? In and those maybe capacities. you did. And maybe you did, right? Sure. And maybe I just don't hear enough of it that I also feel like I don't share, you know? Sure, Or no sure. one ever asks, really. Sure, right? sure. Um, like, there are so many mistakes that I made along the way. Like, Can we so... dig into it a little? Yeah, I mean, totally. I would I'm love happy to. to. I think that is... Like, I, I think that can be so valuable for yeah. other people and maybe even for yourself to just simply look back and say, like, look, I bounced back from this, you know? Yeah, totally. And what I learned from it. So I, I think a question I'd love to ask, like, when when have you failed? What did you learn? Yeah, I think, um, you know, early on when you're kind of starting a business or not really realizing you're starting a business or telling yourself that you're not starting a business because you have no idea how to start a business. Um, you, you try to do a lot of things yourself, right? Cause you want to be the person that's like responsible for all the things. Um, and for the first many, uh, I think like th- three or four years of socialite, I did her own taxes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell do I know about doing taxes? Absolutely nothing. Um, I had an Excel sheet where I would like collect checks from brands, write checks to influencers and write checks to, you know, employees. Um, and then like try to figure out how to do our own taxes. And that was a terrible idea. <laughs> so one, um, definitely first thing that anyone should do is hire an accountant. Um, because they know a lot of things that the rest of us don't. It's definitely worth the money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one because there was a year where I forgot to pay taxes for socialite, um, specifically 2013. And I know this because the IRS just came back after me. It happens. Um, and there are how many years that they're allowed to do that? Many, 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 many more than you think. thing is. Mm-hmm. So I fa- I remember specifically um, we were not doing well that year mm-hmm. and I filed an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you file an extension, you get till September. And that September, um, my personal life kind of went to shit and I clearly didn't file the taxes. Mm-hmm. And I got a letter from the IRS uh, recently, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. being like, so you owe us for 2013 taxes. Um, and not only on the, you know, taxes, but also penalties, fees and interest. And it's triple the amount of money i'm sure it is um and again like at the time i was just like "Eh, i forgot about it things moved on life Mm -hmm. happened right Mm -hmm. if i had an accountant probably wouldn't have happened so i'm dealing with that right now and just a funny uh kind of story there so that this doesn't happen to anyone um i have no access to the old bank account um, Interesting. Yeah. So wow. we switched banks. Sure. Closed that bank account. Um, we switched banks because we got a line of credit with a new bank that allowed us, you know, a little bit more runway. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you probably know, brands don't always pay on time. They don't. <laughs> um, and we have a business to run, including of payroll course. and all these other things, Absolutely. right? So outside of the factoring company that we had for a long time, which killed our margins, we finally were able to get to a place where a bank would give us a line of credit as a business, which has been really difficult the past couple of years because of the state of our economy and businesses and, you know, we're a services business and people also don't believe that services businesses are going to stick around for a while, mm-hmm. which is always a really fun conversation. Um, so we were able to get a line of credit, you know, that account was closed, et cetera, et cetera. Banks only hold on to um, archival statements for five years. Mm. I didn't this know that. This is seven years ago. Wow. I have no access wow. to anything that happened. So I essentially now have to go and settle with the IRS and hope that I can just pay the taxes without the like fees, penalties, and you know interest. So the learning. So the learning is hire an accountant. Hire an accountant. This is also one of the things that we tell all of our influencers. Like sure. we literally won't sign an influencer unless they have an accountant because I, I don't it. trust that people will do things. Sure, I you should. Some you shouldn't. <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah. We also didn't hire a lawyer early enough. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, we signed a lot of contracts. I Googled a lot of things. You know, I, I sometimes say that, like, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm actually an accountant and a lawyer at this point, mm-hmm. you know, because of how much I know about contracts and legal language and how to negotiate shit and how to, like, threaten people le- with legal action, get the accounting stuff. Um, so that's, a, I think, a huge mistake. And I think for not only, like, young business owners, founders, entrepreneurs, but obviously influencers, like, not knowing what you're signing could really, really hurt you. Oh, my God. It will eventually. It will. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we actually learned very recently, um, and this this just came up for us, um, and this is not necessarily, you know, it's probably our mistake, but, you know, when you go to an event and, you know, there's, uh, I always forget what they're called, but essentially there's like something on the wall that basically says like, by entering, you are allowed, you know, you give us, uh, the right to like, take your photo, take your photo, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And there's usually some fine print on where people can use that photo. Same thing happens in photo booths, Mm -hmm. right? So one of our influencers went to an event where they were paid to attend the event. They weren't paid for any content at the event. It was part of 
another uh, kind of content program that they had participated in. They walked into a photo booth. They took a photo. That photo ended up on a billboard. Wow. That's ballsy of that Very ballsy. But there was some fine print in that photo booth that said any photo taken in this photo booth, you know, they have perpetual worldwide, you know, license to use that photo forever. So our lawyer has been dealing with the situation, but the quick response was they gave us, the influencer gave us permission, et cetera. So the reason I say this, not about that specific influencer who is on a billboard and it's great, it's good exposure for them. There's nothing we can do about it. Great learning for all of us. Um, But I think understanding legality, specifically in either the business that you're in or the business you're operating or the types of clients or customers, consumers you're going to be working with Mm -hmm. is also really, really important. Like if I could have gone back to school and taken a couple like, you know, law classes, that probably would have helped Mm -hmm. because we also, by the time we needed lawyers, we were so like fucked, you know, in the sense where we had already signed so many contracts and our employment agreements needed to be redone. Like, there's just so many things that it cost so much more money than if we would have just done things right. And I would say even to, to piggyback off of what you're saying, even let's say someone listening to this, they're like, all right, I'm just in starting my business. So I am going to hire a lawyer like earlier than maybe yeah. Becca did. But even just having that knowledge to be able to converse with the lawyer, like even just having your own personal knowledge about legalities, I do think is valid. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether, you know, you haven't hired the lawyer and you're trying to sort of grassroots bootstrap your own contracts, which some people will choose to do. Yeah, totally. Or just simply to be able to have a more educated conversation. Yeah. And I think, you know, Today, there are a lot more resources online for these things, right? Like, you Mm -hmm. could do your own taxes. It's not that you can't, right? Like, QuickBooks makes it super easy for you, right? Like, or you can Mm -hmm. go to H&R Block for whatever, $75. Like, it's not that you can't do those things. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that people don't go that route of bootstrapping. Um, And again, with, like, legality-wise, like, there's tons of templates online for everything from non-solicit and and agreements and NDAs to employee contracts to whatever it is, right? It totally all exists. I think it's, it's hard to know when you need it. So, you know, if you're sort of lucky enough to have a family friend, I would suggest that conversation. Um, I would also suggest like, for example, I've, I've never turned down a coffee with someone who's reached out to me and said, Hey, I heard you speak or I listened to a podcast or I read your interview or I've just been following your career. Can we grab a coffee? And like, can you give me some advice? Never say no to that. And I don't think any of us really would. You know, I think most people who are in this space or have had some sort of like, you know, career journey are more than happy to pass on their knowledge, you know, to someone else and give people some advice and point them in the right direction or et cetera. And worst case scenario, I can say, okay, well, I I might not be able to, you can, but like, here's my, you know, right hand person who can give you advice, whatever that is. You know, I think one of the other things that I have found really complicated in this kind of business journey, and I wish there were more resources about this specifically is, you know, how to raise money um, or how to seek financial help when you get to a place where your business either needs it um, to survive or needs it to get to the next level. Sure. Right. Um, And I think there's, 
there's a lot of glorification in our world of um, raising money, right, for various types of businesses. Like there's obviously publications dedicated to, you know, how this company raised money, but like no one really understands what that means, right? Just because someone was like, okay, well, <clears throat> Glossier raised, I don't know, $300 million. I don't remember what their last like raise was. What does that mean for someone who is 22 years old and maybe is making beauty products in their kitchen, you know, and selling 20 units a month from their own website slash Instagram? Like, how does that person understand what that means and how to get to that level? And I also don't think that they teach you that in school, right? They don't teach you the difference between, you know, selling to a PE firm or raising money from VCs or friends and family money or angel investors or communities dedicated to helping people find money or lines of credit or factoring. Like, though, that's all shit you learn along the way. And honestly, I also think that that's where most entrepreneurs make the most mistakes. Sure, absolutely. What I will say in my personal experience of, like, helpful places to go to find yeah. those connections just like networking groups i'm part of, of a really yeah. some really strong networking groups and like um it, it's just because you find your community where the the focus is just sharing information and helping each other um but i think that like you coming on here and saying like being brave enough to say like yeah I, this is where i failed and i'm going to tell you about it cuz i don't want that had to happen to you and i had to learn from it and um you're forced into a place where you got to learn from it too Definitely. you have to um but it also like absolutely makes you stronger and where you are today in your business and personally professionally all of the above of. Um, and we we ask everyone this on the podcast. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear your answer. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so Ready. what would you tell your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? Ugh, so much. So much, <laughs> my younger self. Um, I was such a silly human when I was younger. Um, I think there's like there's a part of me that would love to tell my younger self that like it's okay to dream really big um and then a part of me that wants to also tell my younger self that like it's okay to not achieve your dreams you know something like along those lines where there's almost like not a positive and negative but kind of a like balance me yeah some sort of balance where it's like you really need to, like, think bigger, right? Like, you really need to know what you want and why you want it. Um, but you also need to know that even if you don't get there, there's other options. You know, there's there's other parts of the journey that, you know, I can't say that it's all about the journey, to be honest. Um, but I do think there's other parts of the journey that are as equally fulfilling as kind of the like end result, even though I don't know what the end result is. Um, you know, there's, I, um, I immigrated to America when I was a teenager and my parents very much instilled in me this like, you know, immigrant mentality of like, we brought you to this country, so you have to be successful and you have to do this, this, and this. And of course, my parents thought that the only way to be successful in America was to be a doctor or a lawyer. And like, that was never going to be me. Like, my brain.
brain doesn't work for that. Like, it's just like not who I am. Um, but my parents also currently don't think that I'm successful. You know, like they're not, they don't understand what I do or how I do it. They just know that I don't ask them for money. Right. To them, like all of the kind of like the business that I've built, even when they've come to visit my office, and I'm like, look, like I have an office and I have people and like, this is what we do. And they're just like, yeah. Like, it's just not what they understand. Sure, sure. Um, and obviously, again, as I mentioned, like, this isn't what I wanted to build either, right? Like, I went to school for fine art, then I went to school for fashion design, and I was like, I'm going to be Marc Jacobs one day. And then I was like, I hate sewing. Like, I can't, like, stand the sound of a sewing machine. I'm not going to do that, right? So then I decided I want to be, you know, I want to work for Mark Jacobs. I want to be the person behind the scenes working with him and like developing that. Mm -hmm. And for a very long time, up until probably even a few years ago, all I wanted was recognition in the fashion industry for doing something different, right? Like not following kind of the career trajectory that I thought was available in the industry. So sort of, as you said, one of the things that always pained me is how unaware we are of what career opportunities are like from, you know, jobs and actual like skill sets to just generally like how to build careers for yourself in different like segments of different markets. Um, and for me, you know, I, I always wanted to be as close to the fashion industry as possible because outside of art, that was sort of the next thing for me. It was like, well, it can't be art because I'm not going to be this like great, you know, artist, but fashion is is like an art and i fell in love with mclean when i was like 12 and when he died i cried for days um so part of that meant that whatever i was going to do i was going to try to do it to be as close to the industry as possible mm -hmm. and you know when you first move to new york and you're like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and all you want is to like go to the right parties and meet the right people and like be visible right like that idea of like i made it um was something that like drove me for a very long time and after selling the blog and essentially buying myself like you know a nice watch and a chanel handbag and all the things that i thought was like important in life right i i went through a lot of like personal shit that at some point i was like what was all of that for you know, I um, I got divorced and moved out of a beautiful, like, dream loft in Soho and moved into, like, a 200-square-foot studio apartment, um, which reminded me of, like, the day I moved to New York, like, years prior. And I, like, the entire apartment just had a bed in it and, like, 200 pairs of shoes, <laughs> you know? And I was just, like, cool. Mm -hmm. So, like, all... I have. These are all of my possessions. Exactly. Is like material possessions. So I think part of this very long-winded story is that my younger self has always thought that the material things, like the American dream, right, was always about how much stuff you can buy. Um, you know, how big of a house can you have? Because that's the American dream, right? How nice of a car can you drive? And being in New York, 
none of us has, have houses or cars really, right? So to me, it was more like how many Chanel bags can you own and how many pairs of designer shoes and like how many diamonds can you wear and like how much designer clothing can you own? And at some point, you just get to a place where you're like, okay, I've reached success because I have all this shit. And then you realize that like all this shit, shit doesn't matter. And like, that's not what success is. So long winded story that I wish I could tell my younger self that like, that's not what it's about. It's not about the shit that you can buy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's not about the shit that you can buy, which I yeah. feel like, like I have an 18 year old niece mm-hmm. and all she wants is a Cartier love bracelet. That's, like, all she wants as her graduation gift. And, like, when I was 18, that's all I wanted, too. And I own like, I have one. And I can't say that it hasn't brought me happiness. It's not going to bring her happiness and, like, all of us, right? This, like, idea of, like, a status. To me, um, and this might sound super corny, but to me, success today versus, like, the younger me and what I thought success was, was saying, okay, I'm comfortable with my life. I'm happy with who I am happy that I have my health obviously and you know some of my success actually paid for my medical bills so I'm very grateful that I was able to succeed enough to have you know enough kind of financial uh savings to be able to pay for my cancer treatments um you know, we'll have another conversation one day about the American healthcare system. Yeah. <laughs> Especially as an entrepreneur when sure, like there's a lot know, to say. There's a lot to say there. But, you know, it's more about finding ways to give back. You know, as as I mentioned, one of the things that really excites me is being able to uh bring together a group of people who will inspire the next generation and I want to be a part of that conversation and I want to be able to tell the next generation that like, this is what the different journeys are and the different levels of success. And these are all the various ways that you can have success. So like dream big, but if you don't get there, this could also be something that you are proud of, Absolutely, you know, something that you are happy with. That's something that you can be, you know, like you could look at and be like, you know what? That was my dream then, but this is my dream now. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on today. And if people do want to grab a coffee with you and get in touch, what would you say is the best way for people to connect with you? My email, just Becca, B-E-C-A at Socialite. Respond to every email. Yeah, one C. (laughs) One C. One C. Thank you again so, so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much.